So, you want to save the world with clean energy? Make money doing it? Confused about the economic and technical realities of residential and commercial solar, batteries, heat pumps, EVs? Want the real-world scoop on new energy technologies, not manufacture hype? Then tune in to the Weekly Energy Show, hosted by Barry Cinnamon. Insights from Barry's 40-plus years in the solar and energy industry will help you understand the future ways we'll generate and consume energy. And now, here's Barry. Welcome to this week's Energy Show. Now, over the years, I've heard thousands of stories about people and companies in the solar business. And I always learn a little bit about these experiences, the successes, the failures in the solar industry. But now these stories are being formalized by my friend Tor Valenza. Tor recently started his Probably True Solar Stories podcast. It provides a fictional look at how solar energy is increasingly becoming part of American pop culture, careers, politics, family life, and now urban legends. Now, you may know Tor as Solar Fred, doing PR consulting at his firm Unthink Solar. Now, before Tor became well-known as Solar Fred, he wrote for several television series, including Stargate SG-1, Dharma and Greg, and The Dead Zone. Now, he's combining his screenwriting skills with his solar marketing know-how. Now, I'm a regular listener to his probably two true solar stories, and I wish you guys listened to it also. So, welcome to the show, Tor. Thanks for having me, Barry. All right. It's a big change just as far as your reputation as a, a solar marketing guru. And now you're getting in back into the entertainment industry <laughs> with yeah. the probably true solar stories. But tell us a little bit more about the stories and how you kind of got started with that. Well, it's funny. If you step back into my history and life, when I was a kid, was just fascinated with solar power. And so I wanted to be a solar engineer. Mm-hmm. So that was my first love. And then, and then well, now, then you got into the bicycle business. <laughs> yes, your cousin. I uh, my part time job was working with Barry's cousin, which we found out, you know, just a year ago that we had that in common. The pedal pusher bike shop on Eighty uh, Sixth Street in Manhattan. Yeah, no, I think it was Sixty uh, Fourth Street. But in any <laughs> case, of those. yeah, it was it was Manhattan, and yeah, when I was a kid, yeah, and coincidentally, how I got really excited about solar power was that I was walking down Central Park West and there was an art show and there was this little solar powered bicycle person. I mean, he was a stick figure and he was, he was bicycling with a little solar chip next to him. And I just was so fascinated with that. And I said, man, if it can do that, you know, and then I found out that it can also power homes and all these other things. And so, uh, you know, I, I started uh, my, in my high school days, you know, focusing on physics and and calculus. And when I did, I realized I was not going to become a solar engineer because I just did not have those chops. So I did have an imagination, clearly. And, you know, that led me to, you know, Hollywood in a way. Um, I started uh, writing, as you mentioned, for TV shows and worked actually with a lot of studios with films that sadly never got made because that's Hollywood. And then I saw a double feature of Who Killed the Electric Car and An Inconvenient Truth. And I realized my, my new passion, for, or my old passion for solar was back and that the technology was finally here. But, you know, they were doing a really bad job marketing. <laughs> and I knew I was a really good communicator. 
And so I just took some solar courses and went back into becoming a solar marketing and PR person and did a blog, as you know, and that's how I created Unthink Solar. Now marketing and PR has gotten better, which is great, and solar is starting to become mainstream, especially with the passage of the IRA. I think things are going to really explode. But I still feel like people are still the technology conversation is still very difficult for a lot of people. And it's definitely not in our culture. I mean, when you think about a solar movie, name a solar movie, you know, some, a movie that features solar panels. There are very few. And so I just thought, okay, in order for it to be really mainstream, we've got to be in pop culture. And as a former Writers Guild member, I actually went to them and I said, I will educate writers about solar so that you can start getting it into TV shows and and movies. And they just weren't interested. I mean, they weren't interested in organizing it. And I only knew, you know, a few writer friends. So eventually I just decided, okay, got to warm up my screenwriting chops and just create a cheap podcast that I can do this and start telling these stories. And, you know, the, the thing about the true solar stories is that mainly they're they're kind of boring. I mean, you know, there's no real conflict there. You get solar installed and, you know, maybe there's a technical issue and it gets solved. And that wasn't excited to me. And so I wanted to do something that was fun and pop culture. All right. So who's the audience for probably true solar stories? I really think it's everybody. I mean, I think that for one thing, again, you know, shows about dragon slayers, we have shows about lawyers, we've got shows about doctors, but the energy industry is also a significant part of people's lives. I mean, turn on a light. (laughs) And so I wanted to create something that was for, you know, solar installers to see themselves in pop culture and feel that. I wanted to be educational So if you're not in the solar industry and you want to learn about solar, you can do that. And for people who are transitioning, as you know, you know, we've got 250,000 solar workers right now, according to the latest job census. And they say in the next 10 years, we're going to need 750,000. So again, this is an easy way with fun stories to learn about the industry, to learn about the technology, and then to explore deeper. But if you want it to be entertaining in a fun way, that's who I'm hoping will listen. Well, they're certainly entertaining. But before we go on, where can people find these podcasts? They are on probablytruesolar.com. And if you link there, you will see all of the podcast apps that you can it's on Apple Podcasts. It's on Spotify. Yeah, just all the major streaming platforms um, that you can. You know, right. so. And what are some of the most recent podcast shows that you did? What are the so, topics? So, you know, one of my favorite ones, again, which teaches us about just the basics of solar is Winnie the Pooh Goes Solar. So it, it's a probably poo solar story. <laughs> And again, it's meant for kids and I wanted a way for, you know, maybe the homeowner who already has gone solar to teach their kids about the process of it. So Winnie the Pooh and his friends go through the process of going solar and all he wants throughout the whole process is to to have his honey snack. So there's this conflict about when he's going to get his honey by the end. But in any case, it's a fun story. So that's one. 
I also have a solar panel high story. So again, learning about the industry, there are panels now that are being imported and there are no forced labor provisions. So if those panels are being touched by forced labor, mainly in, in China, then they have to be confiscated. So for a big solar developer, if that happens, that's a big problem. So he meets a guy who meets a guy and he tries to get his panels back because he did the right things and his importer screwed him and switched his panels That was a two-part story. That is a two-part, and that's actually going to be a three-parter. That's going to be the season finale about what happens in the third part. What about the elderly woman that wanted to get solar panels? Yeah, so I think the industry is, for the most part, mostly good apples, right? You get a good solar salesperson, they come to your home, and they're going to see that if you can go solar, you can go solar. And if you've got a roof that's too old, or if you've got to up, make upgrades to your panel, your service panel, and things like that, you know, they're going to tell you what these costs are. Or in the case of this story, she's got viable roof is facing north, which isn't going to have much of a payback. But she insists that she wants to go solar. And this Again, ethical solar installer tells her all the reasons why she shouldn't and compares it to, sadly, all of the quotes from the people that were trying to sell her solar. So I think, you know, that's a definite lesson for consumers and I hope a model for future salespeople that you really need to be ethical. And when people can't go solar, there's community solar, there's other ways to do it, even if you're a really terrific advocate. Yeah, we've had a a number of salespeople come to work for us over the past years where they were working previously, they got their solar knowledge and and information and skills and and background from what I would call ethically challenged (laughs) solar installers. Yeah. And when you go to a customer, they they believe you and and they want to do the right thing, but you've got some companies out there that will basically lie. Yeah. Uh, and then the customer ends up with a very bad experience. We end up with burdensome consumer protection laws here in California and elsewhere. So, I mean, there's like 100 pages of documents and contracts that have to be signed, most of which are saying, you know, we're doing everything the right way. But the ethically challenged yeah. companies even skirt those. So it's, but that happens in every single industry. You use car industry, housing industry. There's a lot of regulations to protect people from bad actors. And there's a, a small minority of those in the solar industry. Yeah. Those aren't the companies that are around for 10 or 20 years. Those are the companies that are around right. for one or two years. I, I think of, a, was it Power One Solar? that just went bankrupt and they rebranded as Pink Solar and then they kind of went poof. Really, really big company. Yeah. And they were basically bad actors. Yeah. And the other thing about the podcast is that it's probably true solar stories and these are all inspired by my experience in the solar industry, but the notes have true solar takeaways. So all of them have like little tips in that, ma'am, you can't go solar episode there's some tips for finding an ethical solar and definitely you know the internet reveals all i think that's the main thing people don't do their homework they don't check out the referrals and things like that so definitely when you get a quote look at the reviews on the bbb yelp and all those yeah it definitely makes sense and and as a company that has really, really good reviews, I'll say sometimes we have bad reviews. And if you <laughs> see a company that has zero bad reviews, then they're, they only have a very few or they're hiding the bad ones. Right. But every single project doesn't always go perfectly. And, and the good solar companies always make sure that their right. customers are taken care of and they do the right things. And it costs a lot of money to do that often. Yeah. 
Yeah, no, it, it does. But I think, yet again, ethically, ethical solar installers like you are seeing the long game. And so they, they want to make it right. Yep, yep. All right. What are some of the upcoming episodes that you've got planned for season two? So, yeah, season two is still in the planning stages. There are, shall we say, certain influencers that are trying to, let's put it this way. I get suggestions all the time for what we should do. And, you know, the topics are going to depend partly on what's in the news and partly what is inspiring that I can create a story about it. So I don't know what season two is yet, is the short answer. But again, we've had solar, the solar superhero story. We've had more conventional ones like this couple has a pigeon problem. And we had a solar haunted house story. So I think, you know, between the magical realism stories and the real stories, it really is going to depend on, you know, how I map it out in the next few weeks, because then I have to start writing, because season one ends in two weeks. So do you have time to squeak in that show about how (laughs) Santa can park his reindeer on top of a roof with solar panels? Or does he need some specific landing zone or hooks to make sure that the reindeer don't slide off? How are they going to address that? That's right. And unfortunately, no, I'm going to be uh, skipping Christmas this season so far. So we're searching, searching that one. But we will be in time for a Valentine's episode. And again, I... I yeah you don't don't want to talk about it. it's a, keep it under wraps okay yeah it's not that it's just that I literally have 150 ideas in a spreadsheet and it's whatever one jumps out of me next for that and then I have to develop that into a beginning middle and end for 15 minutes you know or 20 minute story with my voices with different characters and I'm not an actor I'm just pretending to be one for these episodes. So how do you monetize these shows? How do they help your bank account? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, in many ways, it's obviously, you know, promotional for my company, Unthink Solar, for PR and communications. But yeah, I'm definitely looking for sponsors. So I think solar panel manufacturers will be able to, you know, speak to both audiences, to both installers who usually choose a solar panel, but also get some brand recognition for consumers who are learning about solar, same with inverters, same with battery manufacturers. So, yeah, I mean, that's eventually going to be it. And then eventually we'll have bonus episodes and maybe we'll have a separate substack for the people who really can't, just can't get enough about, you know, for solar stories and, and they can get those. And eventually I'm also going to be publishing all of these in book form. So people will be able to read them as well as listen to them. It won't be the same. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, some people are readers. All right, all right. Okay, let's take a few steps back. How has the solar industry evolved over the last five years? There's a lot of changes that I see happening, and I'd just like to get your perspective on it. Yeah, I mean, don't forget we're talking about not a unified solar industry. We've got residential, we've got commercial, and we've got utility. So I think over the last five years, especially with the you know, now the stability of 30% investment tax credit across the industry, we're definitely going into the early majority throughout the industry. I think the writing is on the wall and has been for the last five years that utilities are all going to have to go to utility solar and transitioning at least to 80%, if not their entire portfolio to solar wind and, and some type of storage. Maybe it'll be hydrogen. We shall see. But 
in terms of residential, it's the solar coaster. I think regulations and, and policies, all like net metering coming here in California, but net metering is under threat throughout the United States. I mean, these will create the rise and fall of a lot of solar installers, unfortunately. So I think that the industry is becoming more standardized. And yet, again, like my episode about a solar superhero that's trying to get universal permitting standards, it's not. It's still a fiefdom everywhere. So we're maturing, but we're not mature yet. And you would know that more than anyone being actually on the roof and, well, not on yeah. the roof. Well, try and stay off the roof, yeah. but I'm, I'm on once a week no matter what I do. Yeah. Um, I like your mention of the product life cycle strategy where we've got the early majority, but it's very, depends when you go state to state. I mean, you're going to find some states in the southeast or right. you know, anti-solar states for, for whatever reason, and you're still at the early adopter stage, whereas here in California, I think the numbers are closer to 12 or 15% of the single-family homes have solar panels on it and it's not only should i buy solar but should i put in more and do i need a battery right now so it really depends state by state well specifically now you know we're here in california it's about half the national market what are your thoughts about the net metering three changes (laughs) well from what i've read there's going to be a five to seven year payback that goes up to nine years or ten years or or longer and i think that's going to hurt a lot of rooftop installers. I don't think from a consumer perspective that they want a 10-year payback. They want it as soon as possible. So I hope they change it and they make it, there's got to be a glide path, which people are are definitely talking about. But right now it's just, it's a cliff. And as we saw when Hawaii and Nevada both changed their NEM policies in this drastic kind of way, it unfortunately put a lot of solar installers out of business. And not only that, you know, we talked about this a little earlier, but we're in a climate crisis and Congress still isn't recognizing that. So every clean watt counts and we need to continue rooftop solar being more ubiquitous. 14% is still not the majority of roofs in California. There's still a long way to go from all income levels. So you know, again, I th- we shouldn't be stepping back now. And I just mean that from a climate emergency perspective. Yeah. And, you know, I'm very familiar with the politics of solar in California. And I do know how aggressively the energy industry, especially the utilities, lobbied right. to suppress rooftop solar for competitive reasons. They'd rather sell that electricity to you than have you generate it on your roof yourself. So they bent over backwards, but they managed to get legislation passed through the California legislature and in the governor's office that basically said, we want to raise the paybacks for solar to nine years because not enough low and medium income people are able to afford it. So we're going to make it even less affordable for people. And then we're going to somehow give incentives to the lower income people. But that whole thing is a mess. And very complicated. And again, rates are going to continue to change and they're not going to be favoring against solar. Yeah. And the CPUC used... The wrong numbers. They use data that's two or three years out of date as far as the cost of solar and batteries. And right. so that, that skewed it even more. So, yeah, and I'm, I'm expecting what happened in Nevada and what happened in, in Hawaii is the same thing that's going to happen here. Now, Nevada, basically, the, the industry shut down until it, it reopened. Yeah. Hawaii was a little bit different because in Hawaii, they had good incentives for battery storage. So what happened in Hawaii is that the companies that were 
capable and good and advanced enough to handle solar and batteries, they went through a little bit of a downturn, but now they're doing really, really well. So I expect to see the same thing happen in California where every solar company is going to have to do batteries or just see their market kind of shrivel up. Right. No, I think that's the evolution. Again, and why I feel even in California, we're in the early majority, if not the early adopter stage for batteries, because that's just a, another add-on that people are expecting for you know to have some type of payback. Also, they're trying to guard against resiliency. So that's another big problem here in California, Texas, and other places as well. And so batteries are definitely a great way to do that. You've done a number of shows about adding batteries for for, uh, resiliency purposes. Yeah, I mean, that's the emotional reason that kind of pushes a lot of people over the top to decide to put a battery system. Because batteries are expensive. Right. And the fact that you're going to pretty much need batteries to make your solar pay back in California is going to mean that only the people can afford batteries or find the incentives to do it are going to do that. And everybody else is just going to do nothing and end up spending even more money from their utility. And it gets even worse when you start talking about, well, you're going to charge your car up from solar. Do you want to charge your car up from solar that's generated on the roof of your house really cheaply? Or do you want to charge it up from solar that your company provides? Or do you want to charge your car up from expensive energy that you buy from the utility? And the utilities are doing a pretty darn good job making sure that they're the monopoly providers for EV charging. And that's going to be kind of tough. They're going to be the new oil companies. Yes, and it took a long time for antitrust regulations to apply to the oil companies as it did to the telephone companies. And I kind of see down the road that's what's going to have to happen. Right. But it's going to be a big war. It's not going to happen right away. No, no, no. So on your podcast, you're talking about probably true solar stories. But what about probably true solar and battery stories? What about getting involved in some of that you know, next generation stuff beyond solar? Well, I do mention storage in several episodes. Even the Winnie the Pooh episodes, we're talking about a solar analogy. And so Winnie the Pooh is going to store his extra solar in his Electra honey pots. But I think that, you know, the rooftop solar business in general is always going to be in some ways eventually evolving to storage. I think you won't be having one without the other very soon, just as in Hawaii right now, as you mentioned. So I don't think we need a separate podcast for probably true storage. Yeah. Yeah. Solar and storage stories, but yeah, it's definitely going to be an integral component going forward. Along those lines, what do we have to do within the industry to make batteries more familiar and appealing to homeowners? Well, once again, I think that these stories, whether they're true or not true, are going to be the model. When you're talking about experiences, whether they're true or fiction, people see these things and they relate them to themselves. So if the industry is talking about selling more storage and even the utilities are wanting to install more storage. Again, because having a grid-tied system with storage is a benefit to everybody. It's not just a benefit to the homeowner. So they're going to have to show pictures. They're going to, again, this is why they're in the media. One thing to step back in terms of the entire solar adoption curve, when you think about cars in the 1900s and you think about the silent movies, 
they were coming up at the same time. So you saw Charlie Chaplin having literal car stories and breakdown stories and things like that. And again, there was a women's liberation movement, if you can believe it, a time before women could vote in 1920. And so a woman having a car at that time was showing her independence. And again, this was shown in movies, silent movies, in radios. And the same with cell phones. Cell phone adoption started happening, you know, more broadly in the 90s. And we can all remember Tom Cruise on his cell phone, you know, yelling into it, show me the money in Jerry Maguire. And it just started becoming more common. We have to do the same thing with solar and storage and showing this in people's normal everyday lives. And again, that's another reason for probably true solar stories. And it's going to, again, expand that more exponentially. If people are just looking for information when they want solar, then it's just a a one-off type of thing. But if we see them in movies and TV with or without me and my podcast, and I hope, again, Hollywood does adopt it, then people will start seeing it as a normal part of life. So you got to like convince the people at Universal Studios and the back lots of all the studios in Hollywood, you know, all those houses, the Munsters house, Full House, whatever. Let's get some solar panels on top of those back lots so that they're there right away. Yeah, I mean, I think every sitcom, I mean, if it were up to me, you know, all the, the houses and things like that that they show, they don't have to be a part of the plot. But at the very least... Let's start showing them with solar. Let's start showing a a story about a blackout and the storage kicking in. Yeah, we don't even need a story about the blackout yet. Let's just get the solar panels on top of all those houses in the back lots in Hollywood. Exactly. All right. Big change this year. The... It wasn't the Irish Republican Army, and it wasn't the (laughs) individual retirement account. It was the Inflation Reduction Act, or the IRA. How do you see that affecting our industry? Well, again, I think that um, the first question that anybody has going solar, whether it's a utility, a business, or a homeowner, is how much does it cost, right? They want to know what the cost is. So now that we have a consistent 30% investment tax credit that's going to last for the next 10 years. I think the demand, you know, we we talk about the solar coaster. And in fact, my next episode is about surviving the solar coaster. And that's a fable, but we won't go into that right now. Main thing is that we now have stability in the solar industry, especially for utilities. There's no reason why utilities shouldn't be just transitioning their entire fleet sooner than later, except, yes, they're going to have some stranded assets. But again, because of the climate emergency, we now have this great incentive that's going to last. The problem is that it's such a great incentive that we don't have enough solar workers. So if you are ever thinking about transitioning your skills to the solar and storage and and clean energy industry, now's the time. We need you. We really need you. That's the biggest limitation, you know, to us to expand is to really find qualified people. And we we basically end up always have to train everybody. We get people that are interested in it. They've got a few skills. And then we just kind of have to train them on this. Now, we're talking about solar. We talked a little bit about batteries. But the Inflation Reduction Act has a lot of incentives for other energy-saving devices like heat pumps and induction cooktops and EV chargers and things like that. How do you see the solar industry participating in that other contracting boom? Yeah. So again, there's this trend 
an expression that you and I have heard, which is electrify everything. So everything in your home right now, if your gas water heater, it's your air conditioning system, it's anything that is, and your stove, these are all things that are going to somehow need to be electrified. And I think that a solar installer right now, again, doesn't have all the resources and skill sets to take care of all that today. Some do. I think you're definitely one of them that, that are upping their skill sets to, to already do that. You already provide storage. You do EV chargers. And I think that's going to become the standard eventually that solar installers are going to have to become energy service providers and not just, even though I, I love, to me, the solar brand is still very strong. So if you're a solar and energy provider or energy solutions provider, something like that. I haven't thought about the new brand for a solar installer, but definitely you can't just do rooftops. You can't just do roofing and solar panels anymore. Going forward, we need you to be expanding your businesses and it's good for you too. Yeah. Yeah. We look at that all the time um, as far as line extensions of what we're doing. And we deliberately made the decision to install batteries or go back to installing batteries because I stopped in 2004. And so that worked out well for us. We've got a high attachment rate of batteries. Customers want them. But I need different trucks to install a battery system than I do to install rooftop solar. The rooftop solar crews have pickup trucks because we stack the panels pretty high. And the battery installers have vans that we can lock up because there's a lot of parts inside that they need. And then what do we need for roofing? Well, we need kind of bigger trucks and more disposal capabilities. And what do I need for HVAC? Well, there's a completely different set of tools and things for that. So even though we can be licensed for that, I kind of look at it and say, for now, there's just so much business for solar and storage and electrification advice that we don't need to... I don't need to buy a, a different fleet of trucks to do HVAC equipment. Plus there's a lot of other good companies, but I know other companies in the solar industry have decided to make those line extensions and it's all going to help. What's exciting about me is the IRA provides clear incentives for right. all of those things. So that really improves the economics. Right. And the one thing that it doesn't do, and this is again, part of our transitioning to electrify everything. The utility again is going to be changing rates very soon to hourly rates here in California. And again, that's going to be a model for the rest of the U.S. So, you know, how you use energy is going to be very important. So we've, you know, we've talked about, I know you've done shows on the smart home. Well, smart homes are going to have to become genius homes. And you, as a consumer, don't want to think about it. You don't want to think about the time of day. You just want your clothes being washed at the least expensive price. And so these home monitoring systems and home automation systems and all these things are going to be super important, I think, for solar installers to understand those too and for the manufacturers and the inverter companies to make these devices, these home automation systems and these home monitoring systems as so simple as possible so that really it just becomes second nature just like your iphone is whatever your your mobile phone is second nature it's all intuitive it has to be the same way with the app that is going to be running your entire home yeah i couldn't agree with you more and it is a frustration that i have because i look at my cell phone and and i've got probably over a dozen different little home apps here and there 
And plus I got the solar, I got the batteries, I got the heat pump, I've got the induction cooked up, all these things. And there is no one app that can manage and control those. They're trying. They're trying. You know, Amazon and Google are are both in a competition to make sure that it's as easy as talking to one of them to make sure that your dishwasher gets put on at the right time and and things like that. And I look at that and I say, gee, we don't even have apps within the solar and the battery industry that can allow you in the 3,000 different utility districts in the country program your solar and your battery and maybe your EV charger to maximize the savings. We're not even close to that. So it's going to take a while. I mean, I personally find out that depending on the time of the year and the weather, I'm charging my car at different times during the day. It's not the same time now in November that it was in the middle of the summer. And as rates continue to change, it's a challenge. So right. the software, and if we were in Silicon Valley, you'd expect that we'd be able to do that software. The software is going to be the most important thing that's going to integrate all these components together. It is. And as I mentioned before, it's not all about the singles homeowner. Like what you do affects the grid. If everybody turns on their heat pump at the same time, we're going to have a blackout. So things have to be regulated and with the thought of how it affects the entire grid. This idea of interconnection is good. It can help. On the other side, you know, again, if you go off-grid, that won't help, and it's very expensive. Are you doing any off-grid, by the way? No. No, I did off-grid like 15, 20 years ago, and, you know, our trucks would go up into the mountains somewhere in the mud and the dirt, and these would be little, relatively small solar systems with lead-acid batteries. They yeah. required a lot of maintenance. I said, no, we're not doing it. Now we have people that want off-grid systems using lithium-ion batteries. And still, it's like, you know what? We're so busy doing grid-connected systems. You get the tax credit. You get other benefits. And that's just what we're focusing on. So I don't even look at the off-grid systems right. at, at all. And again, keep in mind that if, you're, if you, if you want to help the grid, if you want to help us electrify everything, stay grid-tied. Yeah. And it's only the super, super, super rich people that really want to be just completely off-grid and have enough power for seven days, which, again, yeah, could be that much. A lot of so batteries. It'd be a lot of batteries. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So just kind of ready to wrap things up, what are some of the most important concerns that you're hearing from residential solar and battery customers these days? Well, I'm more in the B2B space these days. So mm-hmm. I only hear things from... Friends, friends like you. Honestly, I mean, I think that people are, again, another reason why I created the podcast is they're not thinking about that right now. They're thinking about utility rates going up, and that's a pain point that makes them seek out solar. But in terms of their questioning about it, again, they want to find something that is affordable, They whether they should finance it through a lease, whether they should finance it through some type of PPA, or whether they should buy it all together or get a, a home loan. I mean, the truth is that the upfront cost of solar is pretty much zero, whether you get a lease or you, you buy it through a loan. I mean, there's very few small points through the loan, right? Yeah. So it's a very yeah, entry you can, point. You can get positive cash flow pretty easily right now for solar and even for solar and storage if yeah. you go to the right financing source. Yeah. What you do have to have is good credit. I think that's the, the biggest impediment. And then if you don't have that, then again, we have community solar in a lot of places and CCAs here. Yeah. Um, so... Sorry, no, no, no. I went off on a, on a little segment. But no, no, no. The only community solar, great, except that... doesn't exist here in California, technically. Utilities suppress it. Yeah. They, they're on the one hand, poor people can't afford solar. On the other hand, the way that they can afford solar is with community solar, but the utilities don't allow it. That's, well, that's it. 
once again, California did just pass new community solar legislation, but now that goes back to the Public Utilities Commission, the PUC as we like to refer to them, and they will create the formula for whether it's going to be attractive to both solar developers and to consumers, and we'll see. Because we tried it before, and the formula didn't work. Right, so. right. No, we keep hearing that there's big big potential for community solar, and it's still sitting at the potential stage here in California. The CPUC does a poor job of regulating the utilities. Yes. And that's yeah, it's creating a lot of problems. But, all right, so back to solar stories. If you could just let us know one more time, Tor, where people could listen to the probably true solar stories. So, again, on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, on Google Play, on Amazon Music, any major podcast streaming platform, you can find it there. You do have to type in the entire title I've learned, so probably true solar stories. There are other probably true podcasts out there, but I'm the only probably true solar story podcast out there. And you can go to probablytruesolar.com, sign up for the newsletter, and then you'll get a notification every time. And there's a blog up there, and I'm always talking about all the ways that solar is starting to enter into the, hopefully, pop culture and mainstream. And here's some breaking news. My goal for this is not for me to be the only writer of this program. So if you've got a probably true fiction story and you're a writer, then we are going to be open for submissions for season two. And I'm still working out the details for that. But again, go to probablytruesolarstories.com. Send me an email that you'd like to write for Probably True Solar Stories, and we'll see what we can do. That sounds really cool. All right. Well, thanks, Tor, for joining us on this week's Energy Show, and thanks to all of our listeners for tuning in also. Thanks for having me on, Barry. If you missed any of today's show, you can always go to our website at cinnamon.energy and listen to the podcasts. Thanks for tuning in to this week's Energy Show. Barry wants everyone to benefit from clean energy. So if you missed any of today's show, you can go to our website at cinnamon.energy and listen to the podcasts.